Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Well, greetings this Lord's Day, this fourth week of Advent, in the name of the Savior who came to earth as man. Greetings. This week we focus on love. Everybody say love. love. The love of God filled the hearts of men and his people. This love was a shadow, it was a hint, and it was a pointing finger directing all who were looking to the time of Messiah. This love was an interceding love. Everybody say, interceding love. A love that stood between judgment due to those who disobeyed God, asking God to stay His judgment or place it on themselves. As God calls us to worship Him today, we hear the words of Psalm 86, where the psalmist uses the very words that Moses used when God was going to destroy them, but Moses asked for God not to. So the psalmist here is quoting the words of Moses in Psalm 86. He says, Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and I am needy. Preserve my soul, for I am am holy. O thou, my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good. And ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great. And thou dost wondrous things, and thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord, I will walk in the truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name, and I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thee forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest of hell. O God, thou proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of the violent men have sought after my soul, and have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. Turn unto me and have mercy on me and give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thy handmaiden. Show me a token for good that they that hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, hast helped me and hast comforted me. Let us pray. Lord, indeed, you are our help and our comfort, Lord, and we are so humbled by the fact that you have invited us you have not only invited us but called us into your presence today lord we who are not worthy the blind the halt the maim and the highways and the byways lord of our lives but you called us to this great feast and you have laid it before us we are the undeserving those who should never be called but you have called us O lord we come today seeking your cleansing blood to forgive us of our sins and seeking uh, your voice to speak to us and the incorruptible seed to lodge itself in us and change us, Lord, that we might be more like you. Speak to us, feed us from heaven today, and send us out to do your work. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said, Amen. Amen. 
Would you remain standing for a moment as my I read my text for you from Exodus 32. It's it's just two verses, uh, well, three verses um, from what Steve already read for us, but it's the, it's a very particular part. Exodus chapter 32, uh, verses 30 through 32. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord pre-adventure. I shall make atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord, and he said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. Let us pray. Lord, today... We pray that your word would change us, that it would alter the course of our life. That is, we would hear your word going forth, that something in your word would make sense to us, it would inspire us, it would change us, so that when we leave here today, we do not leave the same as we came. Lord, I remember many messages that I heard growing up that changed my life. That I can remember the very day, I can remember the words, I can remember the text, and I know that those were pivotal times for me. May there be some here tonight, today, as they hear your word, Lord, as they uh, are convicted by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that this would be the beginning of a new life, one that is built on love and on intercession. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are now in the fourth week of Advent. A special time each year we use to remember how we now live in a very different time than our forefathers. It's hard to even imagine, it's hard to comprehend what life was like for them. We think we know. We think it's all about, you know, camels and donkeys and dust and 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 you know, no electricity, but that what was really different about then wasn't all that. You know, that, that does make a difference in, you know, in our lives, but what makes more of a difference is where they stood with God. You see, they lived in the darkness, a nearly hopeless time filled with the shadows of great uncertainty. They lived in a time of violence and terror and uh, superstition. 4,000 years from the time that Adam and Eve uh, came into the garden until the time of the birth of Christ. It was an extremely dark, dark time. We can't even comprehend that uh, much time, much less what that darkness was, was like. They waited for the coming of the Son of God, not even really knowing what that would be. And as it is true that we now, after coming... Uh, into the time of the great light that has filled the world, if we still see through a glass darkly, then it could be said of them that they were all like blind men groping along the paths of their lives without hope. All was light from the very beginning until the sin of Adam and Eve. Darkness came over the world that God had made for man's dominion. Darkness and the rule of demonic forces. Yet in the darkness, God struck the match of hope from them in the words of the curse. And we now call this... The proto-gospel. Everybody say the proto-gospel. And we say it, and we say it kind of like, you know, those of us who know theological terms, we say it sort of like, yeah, that's the proto-gospel. Well, folks, for them it wasn't the proto-gospel. For them it was just the gospel. It was the only good news they had. You see, they were in a world where people were killing each other, where people weren't serving God, where they had no thought of forgiveness and atonement, and, and it was all they had was a hope of maybe someday... And so that hope was all that they had, and it was the gospel for them. It One day that a man would come whose heel would crush the head of the deceitful serpent who had slithered his way into the Garden of Eden. His day was coming, and the light of this was the only hope that the world had. In our first week of Advent, we talked about hope, and uh, we've been using Moses and, and the narrative that surrounds his life as, as our focal our hub that we've been coming around this advent season 
Moses is a type of Christ, the personification of four great things that kept the world until the coming of Christ. In week one, we talked about hope because he was a little baby, just as uh, we see hope in the face of every baby that is born. We're going to see uh, little baby Kirsten uh, be baptized today, and hope is going to be in that. What will she be like? What may she do? Who might she be in the scheme of the great story that God is telling in our lives? That's where hope will be. Hope is the spark that gives light and sight to the blind. And faith does what? It moves forward. It walks and it runs. This is what Moses did and God still calls us to do today. Walk in faith where hope gives light. But as we heard last week, if faith walks and runs and joy takes us on wings of eagles to flight, But when joy comes, we learn to walk uh, in the spirit, that walking, that running, that flying, that leads us above the clouds, far above the earthly, and takes us to the heavenly place where God says that we all are right now, seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Face to face with the love of God, we understand our calling is a love that intercedes We are called to go into the lives of each other, into their darkness, and light the spark of hope. Teach them to walk by faith, to soar in joy, and to do this we must love them with the love that intercedes for them to God. Reaching out to people, people that don't know Christ, is not easy. It is not uh, comfortable. It is not something that, you know, you can look forward to it, but, you know, I don't enjoy coming away smelling like cigarette smoke and worried if bugs are crawling on me and, and you know, rather be somewhere else doing something else. I remember the first time uh, the Lord sent me to Yangon. I, I guess when I said bugs, it made me think of that. You know, I didn't take malaria medicine the first time. I didn't, it, it all came very fast. And, and, and every, uh, Elaine, every time a mosquito bit me, you know what I said? There it was. That was the one. That's the one that's going to kill old Pastor Mark. I'm going to, I'm, I'm telling you, you might, you, you can think I'm neurotic, but I, if you've read about malaria, it's a bad thing. Okay. Your dad got it right when he was over in Africa. Right. And, uh, but now of course we have different drugs to deal with it, but I'm telling you every mosquito that bit me, it, I felt like it went all the way to the center of my soul, Derek. It was just like, <laughs> so I just, that's it. I know God's called me to this place. And, and of course, you know, my imaginated imaginating imaginating that's a word right uh my imagination about my suffering was really all that i had there but but uh but love says okay i'm gonna go and if i die of malaria there okay if if the myanmar police end up killing me and they put me to jail and i'd read all these stories about people in jail and in prison and dying of illnesses in faraway places and i'm like okay god if that's what you have for me and i'm just i'm kind of expecting that this is you know i've had these all these neat things happen and so this is going to be the neatest of all i'm going to die over here in this country you know but the lord didn't have that didn't end up being my neat story The neat story is that I didn't die and that I got to come back and I got to come back and I got to come back. But that's not always the story. But you see, love intercedes. And here in our text, we see love wrought by the hands of Moses. Just as Moses was called out of the comfort of Egypt into the desert of Midian and he was called to a life of running and a life of difficulty out of comfort, we are called in that same way out of our comfort. Of all the people in the whole wide world, you are sitting in a room with the most comfortable people on planet earth. The most blessed, the most uh, abundantly uh, filled with wealth and blessing and safety and peace. We're not worried about a band of people coming down the road and interrupting our worship service and kicking us out of the building. We're not worried that any of us could starve or that any of us are going to to freeze to death or be in great difficulty. We're not worried that we're going to be called and and put in locks and chains for uh, preaching the gospel and be on a cold cell floor, uh, unable to reach our loved ones. None of us worry about this. The very thought of it is almost comedy to us. But the people, many people, and of course, in the time of Moses, he was facing real danger. God had given all of Israel hope through him. He had taught them to walk by faith. uh, And they did so as they walked with him and he led them. You see, faith not only walks for yourself, but it leads others. And so when people see how you walk and they see where you go and they're like, look what he's doing. I mean, he's, he's out there and he's, 
you know, he's knocking on that door or he's having over those people into his home or he's going there while well, he went over there. Well, maybe I can go too. And, and where it was real scary before and nobody wanted to go. Well, I think I'll come. I think I'll bring my little kids. I mean, my goodness, look at that, you know, and that's what love does. Love and, 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 and it's what God does. Faith, it not only leads people, it leads people um, by example and people come and they follow. They followed Moses across the Red Sea. On the other side, he sang and he danced with them as they leaped heavenward, flying with joy toward the promised land. Miriam grabbed her tambourine and they danced. Moses sang a song and they were singing and they were dancing and they were celebrating and they were excited as they saw uh, how God had done exactly what he said he would do. And can you see this, how this God does? We get hope. Hope leads us to faith. Faith then brings us to joy. But joy isn't the end in itself. It leads us to love. And what I found out is that love ends up starting us back over with what? With with hope. And then hope gives us faith. And then faith gives us joy. And then joy flies us heavenward to love. And then in love, you know what happens? Then we get hope again. It's an endless, incredible cycle and circle of God's glory. On the other side, they needed Moses yet again. He was God's man. He loved these people God had given him to lead. And he was like true love from God always does. He was willing to die for them. It's an amazing thing how God works. That the more trouble people cause you, uh, the more you end up loving them. You guys have heard the term that squeaky wheel gets the grease. And, and you'll find out that it's the, if you have a family of 10 kids and you got one that's filled with trouble and difficulty... That mama will love that kid more than all the rest of them kids. She'll pray for him and she'll take care of him and she'll dote on him and she'll favor him and she'll make sure he has the best presence. You know, my mom might be listening to this one day, but there was, there was one of us three in the house who got treated a whole lot better than the others. Now we won't go into it right now, but it wasn't me and it wasn't my sister. Uh, And uh, they were worried about him, you know. They were worried that things weren't going to work out for him. And, and so, you know, now if he ever listens, he'll be mad. But it's the truth, you know. They were worried that this would happen. So they buy him this thing. And they do this thing for him. And they, you know, they want to help him in this way. And they bend over backwards. And they spend all the money. And they do this. And you know what? Any one of us would do it for our child. And what happens is I saw it with my grandmother. My, my grandmother, uh, one of her children had a difficult time. And she just... She'd be just always worried about him and all, and she loved him. And the children of Israel, these people, they were pathetic. And their patheticness had developed and exponentially developed so over hundreds of years. Their, their inability to care for themselves, their inability to walk by faith, their inability to, they, they just, they needed to, they had been slaves so long, they'd never gotten out of the mentality. And Moses was going to lead them and he loved them, but he was willing in his love to die for them. He knew God was not to be trifled with. He had seen his staff turn into a snake that ate the snakes of the sorcerers, Janus and Jamres. He had seen the death angel come and smite the firstborn of Egypt. He had heard and seen the terrible, terrible thundering and lightning on Mount Zion. Power that had turned the top of the mountain black as it still can be seen today nearly three or more than 3,000 years later. He knew God always kept his word and that asking what he asked, could very well mean his own death, but still he asked. It wasn't like, oh Lord, blot my name and save them. I mean, it was, he'd seen a God who said, let me tell you what, you better put a ring around this mountain because if any man, if any animal approaches this mountain and touches it, they will surely die. He saw God in his mighty holiness and his power and thundering for 40 days. What on earth? The Bible doesn't give us an account of what happened in detail on those 40 days, but he must have trembled and quaked at the thunderings of God and as God made the tables of stone. And so here he's praying to the God that made the tables of stone. He's praying to the God that smote anything that touched the thing, that touched the mountain he was on. He's praying to this God and he's saying, Lord, kill me. And you might say, well, that's rhetorical. I'm telling you, he meant it. I believe he meant it. I believe he had the spirit of intercession in him that was a foreshadowing of Christ because Christ's intercession can save. Moses' intercession can try to save. Do you see the difference? You see, in the time of the shadow of Christ, Moses could intercede. But did you know Moses doesn't save the people? Some of the people are saved and some of them 
are not. His intercession is not perfect. He had seen Israel sin with his own eyes. He had seen their lascivious revelry and idolatry. He knew they had turned on him and set his brother over him, that they had worshipped the golden calf. He was angry. He was so angry he broke the stones that he had written. We read about it in Exodus 32. It's kind of an amazing story. God is and, and Moses are having a conversation that just doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> kind of like God talking to Abraham. I'm gonna, I'm just, hey, when you read the account, God says, you know what? I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but I really shouldn't do it without talking to Abraham first. Now, I'm, I'm about the transcendent God, but there's, there's another message happening in that story. Beyond the transcendent God. Can you say amen? God in heaven, who transcends everything, who can kill anybody and everything, destroy the whole earth, planets, universes in a single thought, says, I'm not going to do this until I talk to Abraham first. There's something very personal in that, Luke. And here he is, a man talking to God and telling God not to do what God has said he's going to do. And you might go, well, we should never do that. It sounds like Moses did it, and this was something good. God, please don't do that. Lord, I know Steve deserves it. Lord, I know he's earned every bit of it, Lord. Lord, please don't do that to him. And you might go, well, I don't know that we should talk to God like that. You know, God lifts up Moses as an example of intercession. God was not displeased with Moses and later, you know, does something bad to Moses because of his intercession. God obviously wasn't going to destroy those people. And he was using Moses as a picture of Christ himself who intercedes. You see, the judgment of God demanded that these people die. Just like the judgment of God demands that who in this room dies. How many of us in this room could go stand before a holy God with what you've done in your life and all you've thought and all you've said? None of us. Not one of us. The Bible says when we have broken one of God's commandments, we have done what? We've broken all of them. Exodus 32 is a story that is amazing. Even after hearing God's thoughts about them. I mean, he hears God say, these people, they're no good. We're just going to get rid of them all. He's hearing God's opinion of them and he still argues with God. Like Abraham. Okay, God, I know you're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but... But Lord, what if I find so many righteous people? Now, God knows what's in that city. But what does God do? He allows Abraham to be a part of this. Why? Because he's trying to show us as people that men without God can intercede. But their intercession is incomplete. And it is, it is only so much. And until the time of Christ, intercessory was somewhat effective. But when Christ came, it was completely effective. And after Christ has come, the Bible says that we now have this same role. Christ daily lives to make intercession for us. But what are we doing? We're living in comfort and ease and and saying, oh yeah, you know what, God, you should kill those bunch of people. They deserve it. I mean, Lord, if any Democrats are alive this time next year, it's because you are not faithful. I mean, that's the kind of thing we think in our mind. Lord, kill them all. I'm tired of these terrible things they're doing and these ungodly laws they're passing and they're killing children and they're doing these things. The children of Israel were running around in fornication and idolatry and right after God had parted the Red Sea, uses the word it said, God says to them, it says, they so quickly have turned against me and turned against you. How about if I just kill them all and start over? And you might say, well, you know, God wasn't serious. I mean, this is a real discussion. You see, when God did that with Noah, he did it. He killed all the people. He started over. You say, well, God wouldn't do it again. Well, he wouldn't do it again with water, but here's God throwing it out. But what does Moses do? God put it in his heart to do what? Everybody say, plead on their behalf. Are you pleading on behalf of your neighbors? Are you pleading on behalf of, you know, the bad elements, you know, in your community or in our government or, 
Or are you going, are, are you finding yourself more like the Pharisee that says, you know, I'm glad I'm not like them. Lord, I'm going to spend time on that. Lord, I'm so thankful, Lord, that, that I have a good church to go to, Lord, and that, that, that I don't dishonor the Sabbath. And I mean, I'm telling you, we can get there really quick, but that's not where Moses was. Moses wasn't pounding his fist and going, look at these people. I remember going to the Grove City Church of the Nazarene for their something they did. I was absolutely horrified by them. Here they were, all, here they were having strangers coming off the street, and then they were like having a guy dressed up as Jesus, and he's taking communion with them. And I was, and I, I would, I didn't take communion with them. Me and my family, we're not doing that. And you might go, well, that's a little thing. For me, that was a pretty big thing. That was really weird and ungodly. But what gets into our heart? Look at these people. Look what they do. They're not doing it right. Lord, bring them down. Or does it get in our heart? Oh, Lord. Lord, forgive these folks. They don't understand that, you know, riding motorcycles in the middle of the church is not really the way. You know, having a beach ministry, you know, and everybody wear bikinis. and It's not, it's not, it's not what we should do. You know, growing out big 80s hair and grabbing electric guitars and, and screaming things you can never do, but they're about God. Like, this isn't how we glorify the name of God. Turning on fog machines in our church services. These people are a bunch of idiots. And we, look at them. They just take their children, they turn them over to the Philistines. Look at these people. And it gets in our heart and we are so mad at that. But... Are we pleading for them? Are we saying, Lord, your people, like when we say our confession of sin, are we, are we up there going, you know, we are confessing these sins, but we're pretty good. Or are we realizing that we are really tied to Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Pentecostals? My, my wife is at a funeral and she's hanging around with all of these folks. And we would view them as heretics. They deny the Trinity. They say that everybody that isn't believing just like them are going to hell. I used to be one of those too. And we could look at them, oh, the things that they do, they're so crazy and they're this and they're that. And, and now that we're reformed and we're smart and we know everything, they should do it like us. And, and, but really, is, is that where we want our heart to live? Or do we want to say, oh, God. Lord, Lord. Lord, forgive them where they're ignorant because God, I'm probably just as ignorant right now in ways I don't even know. Moses, it says in verse 11, besought the Lord as God. And he said, Lord, why do you, why are you angry with your people? Now, he knew why, but he was trying to say, don't you remember you brought them out of Egypt and, and you said you were going to make a mighty nation out of them. And it's like, it's like when we pray, I think there's something that, that, that Moses did here that we could do. We can say, Lord, Lord, your church is in disarray and disunity and, and they, you know, they, they don't read, they don't even cherish the word of God and they pick and choose and they, they don't want to obey the scriptures and they despise your law. Oh, Lord, Lord, but isn't this the church you said, Lord, that the gates of hell should not prevail against? Lord, didn't you say you were going to build it on the rock? Didn't you say that, that, that this church that you're doing that it will be for the healing of the nations of the world oh god are we grieved at all that the church is like this and do we plead on their behalf and do we say oh god how can i bring them into the reality of the truth or do we look down at our noses and say oh we're epistemologically self-conscious maybe you should get some more reformed facebook friends to agree with your posts you know Maybe you can feel good that you're so much smarter now that you know so much more. Is that really what God wants for us, His people? He said, Lord, why do you wax wroth hot against thy people? Thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with your great power and your mighty hand. The Egyptians are going to disparage. They're going to say, God brought them out to save him, but instead he's going to kill him. God, this isn't going to be good. Now, now you know God knows all of these things, but we're hearing insight that Moses is trying to reason with God. Lord, don't kill him. It would be better if you saved him. 
Lord, don't get rid of all the Nazarenes. Don't get rid of all these oneness Pentecostals out there. Lord, there's people in there that love you and want to serve you and, and they don't understand things. They're, but you know what, God? I think I might be just as stupid as they are. Oh, help us, God. Lord, we want to bring glory to you. Lord, please forgive us. Please don't be angry with us, Lord. For with mischief did you bring them out. You're going to slay them in the mountains and consume them with the face of the earth. Oh, Lord, turn thy fierce wrath away and repent. Moses preaches repentance to God. You might go, well, nobody should talk to God like that. I'm sure glad he did. I had this talk with my wife about this and I'm like, I'm like, honey, we, we got to be more like this. I won't tell you some of the things that she said. We're trying to think through it. He says, his, he says, um, remember Abraham and Isaac. I mean, can you imagine this, Andy? Can you imagine telling God, God, could you, I need you to remember Abraham Isaac and Jacob. Can you imagine this thing? Moses was just, Moses was really, he was dumb. He didn't understand the great transcendence of our sovereign God. And and he needed a real lesson in God's sovereignty. Don't you think? It sounds to me like he was pleading with God and he was using whatever he had. Oh, don't you remember, Lord, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, thy servants, whom thou swore by thyself? And said, I will multiply their seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land I've spoken of, I will give to their seed. And they shall inherit it forever. And you know what God does? This is totally amazing to me. Verse 14, and the Lord repented. <laughs> the Lord repented. Now, you might go, well, this doesn't really fit our theology that well. Then our theology needs adjustments. I don't understand exactly how it happened. I'm sure we can explain it in some certain way. But God repented of the evil which he thought to do to his people. Now, of course, these are the words of Moses. That's how Moses saw it happening. You see, God calls his people to repentance and many respond, as you will see. God tells Moses he's still going to kill him. Moses, like Abraham before him, pled Like I said, for Sodom and Gomorrah, Moses intercedes not with reason, because his reason isn't very great. It's not, it's filled with holes, but he does it out of love. You see, everybody say, love intercedes. Oh Lord, don't kill him. Lord, don't start over. Lord, don't. Lord, don't. You see, the heart of love is what he finally comes down. He realizes, okay, none of these things are working out. And he's going, all right, you know what? If God loves me, how about that? Lord, could you just kill me? Could you just, he didn't just say kill him, Steve. He says, could you blot my name out? And you might go, well, I don't know. I don't know exactly how reform that is. I don't exactly know if that's really that great of a prayer to pray. Do you guys remember what the apostle Paul in Roman, said in Romans chapter 9? He said, if I could be accursed from God, and that would save my brothers, Israel, I would. Now, he goes on to explain, that's not really up to me. I can't make that happen. What he was trying to show us, though, was the spirit of the love in his heart that wants to intercede. How many of you would die for your children? How many of you would die for your wife? I have prayed over and over that the Lord would do to me what he's doing to my wife. Lord, let it be on me, Lord. I can't bear to see this on her like this. God wants us to fill our hearts. He wants, God is filling our hearts. And he wants our hearts to be filled with the, the love that intercedes Our children are going to sin. They're going to do things that embarrass our church. You may say, well, that's never going to happen. Yeah, yes, it will. Some of them will do things I don't even want to say. They're going to do it. How will we be for them, with them? What will, how will we talk to God about them when they do it? 
If they're your kid, you're going to be pleading. If they're somebody else's, you might be thinking maybe judgment is more appropriate. Well, we couldn't just let this go. I mean, this will need to be pointed out. Judgment would really be handy right here, God. I never see God lauding that as an example for us. The Bible says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? What does God have new every single morning? God even tells us when our brother sins against us, how many times should we forgive him, Jason? So many that our homeschool kids can't even add it up because it's multiplication. <laughs> you see this, this wasn't the first time. It was, it was not the last time, I should say, that Moses did it. God sends them into the promised land later. They, the spies come back with an evil report. And God's like, they need to die. Moses says, oh, Lord, don't do it. And so you know what God does? Okay, all those that didn't believe, they can die in the wilderness. That's pretty rough. He didn't kill them all, right? He killed a whole lot of them. You read about it in Numbers 14. You can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 9. We know that Moses, the intercessor, was a mere shadow of the one who would ever live to make intercession for us. The world around us, our wives, our children, our fellow church members have Christ interceding in their lives when we stand in the gap for them. Love is willing to sacrifice ourself, our life, our desire, our freedom so that others can live. You might go, well, it really doesn't matter. I mean, what, you know, God is going to save who God's going to save. You know what? I'm telling you that when you intercede on behalf and you do things that are uncomfortable and difficult and put yourself out and put your life on hold to, to, so that others can hear the gospel, so that others can know Christ, I'm telling you, you are doing the work of intercession. In Moses' day, they prayed for salvation to came, and it came in an imperfect way through a man named Moses. The perfect intercessor came the same way. He came as a baby, not born on the banks of the Nile, but in a stable in Bethlehem. And today we know that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Paul, talking about this in Ephesians chapter 4, gives a declarative statement. Because of this, does anybody know what we're supposed to do? I mean, isn't that what we hear the scripture, we say, okay, we're supposed to do it. What should we do? That's why I'm talking about mercy. Because Ephesians 4.32 says... Because of this, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. None of us has earned his place with God because of our own righteousness, and for this reason we should be merciful. We should love mercy, not just because by being so we obtain it ourselves, but because we understand that without Christ standing in the gap for us, that we would be barred from the gates of heaven. Let us be a people not... A people that are uh, filled with just a radical lifestyle, a countercultural way of living. But let us be known for our radical mercy, our forgiveness, our love, our tenderheartedness, our willingness to look past people's sins and plead to God on their behalf. Let us be like our intercessor, abounding in loving kindness, mercies new every morning, instead of getting on a bandwagon of pointing out what people deserve and asking God. To fill our hearts with love so great that we're able to ask God to destroy us before he destroys them. I wrote this statement and I stopped it. and I, I, I was going to say, love the world. And I stopped, well, no, no, we, we can't do that. But then I'm like, alright, let me back it up. Everybody say, for God so loved the world. Well, that needs a lot of explanation, we say. Right now, I'm not going to explain it. But those of you who love them, who are willing to do something for them, you, those of you willing to love the world, like Jesus loved the world, can be part of saving it. We need to have the heart like David Livingston. I was thinking of David Livingston because my Uncle Sam, and I call him my Uncle Sam because... He's, in, he's really my wife's Uncle Sam. He spent 50 years there. He lived in a hut with his little children. They went. He, he read the entire Bible 
while flying from church to church in Africa throughout 50 years. Can you imagine that? He built with his hand several churches. This little sweet woman, Joyce, if you ever met her, who passed away, she was one of these women, she always had on a, a beautiful, very feminine dress. Her hair was always done, and she was that way in the bush in Africa. She took care of her children. She lived in, 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 in conditions you could never even imagine. But when you met her, you thought, this is kind of a classy lady. And Sam would go, she's that way in the hut in Africa. They raised their children in a part of their organization. They made them send their children home when they reached a certain age because the government required military service. And so they lost their children. Some of their children went home and were there. And some of them didn't serve the Lord for a while and went through very difficult times. And they stayed in Africa. It made me think the reason they were able to go was because of David Livingston. And you read David Livingston's story. And it is appropriate, Jason, that his heart is still buried under a banyan tree over there, never to leave Africa. He gave all. He suffered night and day. He suffered separation from his wife for years. She died without, you know, or he died without her ever being able to see him again. The story of William Carey is devastatingly inspiring. He went over to India, and in India he... Uh, found himself watching women being taken and put on funeral pyres and being burned alive. Kirsten, have you ever read about this? He would see him burned alive. It was called Seti. And these women were screaming and hollering and they didn't want to be burned alive. And, and William Carey said, he said, I will stop this if it's the last thing I do. Yes, he was coming to bring the gospel, but he was also wanting to bring change in the country. And he said, I will stop this. I remember, I can't ever get it out of my mind how his wife died and how his son died and how he had to chase away the buzzards from their body because he didn't want them to be eaten by the birds. But yet he wouldn't leave. And his love for the people of India grew stronger as he served them and loved them and they weren't converted to Christ. He stayed and he kept preaching and he ended the practice of seti in his lifetime through the work and the, and the grace of God. Amen? And you might go, well, what in the world would make a man do that? Everybody say love. You see, there wasn't any, he wasn't working for recognition. He didn't want to be man of the year. He wasn't trying to earn uh, great accolades. He was working and no one even saw what he did. And he kept doing it. And because he was there in India, there was a missionary that came from the United States of America, the great land of the free and the home of the brave, named Adoram Judson. And Adoram Judson came and stopped and, and saw William Carey and his family in India. He was married to a sweet woman named Anne. And she was expecting their child as they traveled across the Bay of Bengal. Their baby was born and, and, he, and he died on the ship and... And Adoram Judson's heart broke in him as they buried their little child at sea. One of the strange things is where Adoram Judson dies is right very near in the ocean in the same place where, they, where his son, his little boy died. Judson would lose two wives and seven of his children over the course of 40 years. He said this. He said, I will not leave Burma until the cross is planted here forever. I read about just this morning again because I wanted to be accurate on some of these things that I was saying about him just now. And I thought I remembered them rightly, but I wanted to make sure it's, it's not something you should just say off the cuff. I thought only six of his children died, but there were really seven. He was imprisoned and tied to where his body hung from the air. He wrote the Bible on these palm leaves and hid them in pillows. It's an incredible story. What would make a man do that? Everybody say love. Love's willing to do that. We wouldn't do it for joy. It would be very hard to do out of faith and it seems pretty hopeless. 
Oh, you're going to translate the Bible on palm leaves? Seriously? Come on. They won't even untie you. His wife coming back from forth, back and forth from the, from the prison to see him, pleading for the release of her husband, wondering, why will not God release my husband? Why, why is this? She got very ill to the point where she had to go home, and, and so Anne went home, and he was separated. Do you know how long it took, Andy, do you know how long it took Adirimes Judson's wife to get from Yangon back to the United States? Two years. We can do it in 26 hours, I know. Separated from her, never to see her again. She dies. The light and the love of his life. And what in the world keeps it going? Well, he loved his wife. I mean, some of us, when we imagine the love for our wife, we get teary-eyed and we think we'd do anything for her. And God says, you know, there's a greater love than that. It's the love of Christ. What? That loves the guilty? That loves the sinner? See, it's not hard to love your sweet wife who loves you, who's, who's everything to you. Right? Isn't that what Christ said? It said, it said a righteous man, he would die. You know, someone would die for a righteous man, right? Someone would lay down your wife, life for your wife and for your children, would they not? But what he did was he did love, he interceded for those that didn't love him. Those that didn't ask for his forgiveness. Those who didn't deserve it. Those who uh, would willfully do all the things you and I have done. Love intercedes. And God calls us to that place of intercession. Judson came for Burma like Moses came to God before Israel, willing to die that others might live. Oh God, give us hearts like it, like these men. It may seem in the modern era has come and there's no need for this kind of intercessor anymore, but I say it is now needed as much as it ever has been. And I pray the Lord, I pray some of these children here, maybe today will be the day you hear a sermon and you say, you know what? My life is not my own. I don't care where I live. I don't care if I get married or I don't get married. I don't care if I have a good job. I don't care if I have money, Lord. I want to stand in the gap for those people who no one will stand for. Lord, give our, the people of our church and the children of our church hearts that instead of sneer at the ungodly and laugh at them in their derision, look at them and say, oh God, could you save them? Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, could those be the building blocks for your church? Could you give us hearts to go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in? It's always amazing to me how we forget that we are them. I have a relative who is among the dregs of society. And you know what's funny, Steve? When I talk to her, she talks about the dregs of society and she says, they. And I look at her and I'm like, you're, you, not only are you as bad, I think you're worse than them. But she doesn't see it. And we come in here and we're dressed up and we got our candles burning. And we forget that we are the, the, the blind, the halt, and the maimed. And we forget that someone came and interceded on our behalf. Someone interrupted their day, their life. Someone didn't play with their kids. Someone went to bed late at night. Some didn't get any sleep. Some were cold and didn't have money so that you might live. And then we say, so what shall we do? What shall we do then? As as that, that, that philosopher, how shall we then live? Love intercedes. That's what love does. May we be called today on this fourth week of Advent to a love that intercedes, that says, you know what, all this stuff that I worry about and complain about and want better and want more and want this, you know what, in heaven and eternity, it's not going to matter too much. This life is a vapor. It'll pass. We're like a bunch of grass that rises in the day and fades by the evening. Our life will be nothing. But you know what? But if we can intercede, if we can lay down our lives, do you know there are over 2 million Christians in the country of Myanmar now? And, and Nang Tong, you know what his brothers and sisters and relatives do? You know what they do, Kirsten? They come to America. You know why? Because they're smart and they're friendly and they know how to speak English. And he says, he says, oh, I cannot come. He said, I cannot leave my people. 
He said, I come to your land and I see all that you have. And I say, oh God, bring it to my country. And Lord, let it come through me. And, and, and little Ning Tong with a big smile. He's interceding and loving. And may we use his example today to inspire us so that we might intercede as well. Let us pray. Love, I I fear, Lord, that we have become more like the Israelites who lived in houses they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant and fared sumptuously like the rich man in the story that Christ told about Lazarus. Lord, I see the temptation to be more like the Pharisee than like the publican. And Lord, as we enjoy the great truth and the beauty of the reformed gospel and the the understanding of God's sovereignty, I can also see how we can be misled. We trust that you are doing all these things, but we we know, Lord, you, you brought Israel out, but you did it with... Moses. And Israel danced, but they danced because Miriam grabbed a tambourine. And Lord, they, your people left Ur and had a land in Israel because Abraham left his family and his comfort. Lord, have we stopped looking for a city whose builder and maker is God because we found a good one right here. Oh, Lord, give us love that intercedes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.